It is amazing that in a dying tree caused by many times different insects, could be worms, beetles, or something else, and that in that dying tree that it could be transformed into something that looks like this, like a table leg, or maybe a table, or maybe a chair. And it all came from a dying tree that had imperfections in it. When you talk to people that work with wood, they say, well, you know, actually it's the imperfections in the wood that make for added beauty. And that whenever you look at a piece of wood and you go to a place like uh, City Hardwoods and, uh, and you go and they've got both domestic and exotic hardwoods, as you look at them, you'll see that there's a different physical quality to each piece of wood and there's also a different aesthetic quality to each piece of wood. It's because every tree is a little bit different. And, you know, I was thinking about that when we were talking about even this illustration that a lot of us, in fact, all of us are like the dying tree. Scripture says that we've all been dead in our sins and we all have imperfections. And that puts us all in the, uh, kind of in the same, uh, same boat. We're all in the same class of those that have sinned, that have got imperfections in their lives. And uh, in the midst of those imperfections, God is able to take that imperfection and to make new life, new purpose to come out of it. And so we're going to begin a series where we will be talking about transformation of what it means to, to go from being sort of like a dead tree then to be transformed into something that is usefulness. Something that as you walk through life, many of you have a brokenness about you because of that separation from God. That's what sin does. And in the midst of that brokenness, you're walking through and you're experiencing pain with no purpose. You're experiencing hurt with no hope. And you're just trying to figure out what is there? What is there in this life? How, how can I ever get back into this right relationship with God and to receive purpose and receive hope again in my life? Well, the good news is that God has made a way for you with all of your imperfections to be a new creation. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he has paid the penalty for our sins and given us that opportunity to come in that right relationship with God. And when that happens, he makes another great promise to you. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone enters into that relationship with Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You become a new creation, old has passed away, the new has come. From the moment you come into a saving relationship with Christ, you die to your old self and you become a new creation. Not, a, not just a improved you, but a new you, a new identity in Christ. And so all of a sudden you've got this new identity in Christ and you have been wrapped up in your bondage of sin and hopelessness and now you can be made new. You can be made new. There's a newness as the Holy Spirit comes in you and empowers you. And you get a new purpose of life. You've got new hope in life. And you've got a new direction in life. Not only for this life, but also will carry you into eternity. And so when you begin to think about we're all dead trees. We're all dead trees. Yet we serve a God who wants to put his arms around us and say, I can make something great out of your imperfections. And so that's when we begin to think about transformation. There can be an inner work in you and an inner work in me that can have an outward reality that could show outward differences and changes. And that is called transformation. 
And so we want to talk about that. We want to start with a passage of Scripture I'd like for you to turn to, which is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And before we read the 12th chapter, the first two verses, let me just give you kind of set you up as to where we are in this, in this passage. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is telling us what we believe. And he talks about how to have salvation in Christ, how to make a decision for Christ. What does it mean to, uh, to have your sins forgiven? He spends 11 chapters talking about all the things that we believe. And then you get to the end of chapter 11, there's a doxology of praise of saying, you know, it's just amazing that we have this opportunity of salvation. And then as he wraps that up, he moves right into chapter 12 and he moves from how, what we believe to how we should behave. And he starts in the very first verse and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, now, we could stop there and camp there for a long time, but we don't have time. But it, the whole bridge from what we believe to how we behave is because of the mercies of God. It is because God loves us so much. And you heard the testimonies of these that were baptized. And because of what God did for them and how much God loved them by the mercies of God, he says, you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You are to present actively. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Crawl up on the altar and say, God, I'm all yours. And then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the methodologies, the ideologies, and the philosophies of this world. Uh, the Phillips translation says, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed, he says, but be transformed. So now you just think about this. He just spent 11 chapters talking about what we are to believe, what it means to receive Christ as Savior. And then he says, this is how you should behave. You're to be transformed. There is something that's supposed to happen inside of you there's an inner work that will have an outward reality. So what is this transformation? Well, I want you to write these down. They're going to be very simple, easy to remember, and hopefully you can deposit in your mind, not only just for these five weeks, but forever. Number one is this. It's an inside job with outward changes. It's an inside job with outward changes. That's what transformation is. The Greek word for transform is where we get our word metamorphosis. And when you think about metamorphosis, and every time I've asked people, hey, when you think about metamorphosis, what's the very first thing you think about? Most people say, choir, butterfly. <laughs> You're so good. That's good. They think of butterfly. Okay. And, and we know that. We learned that when we were in school. We watched it go from, the, uh, from a caterpillar to the cocoon, and then all of a sudden, it comes out to be this butterfly. There is a metamorphosis that takes place. That means there's an inward change. There's an abrupt change in the form and the structure of the creature. Of the creature. And when you talk about the metamorphosis of a caterpillar, it's not that it's going to be a quicker moving caterpillar. It's not that it's going to be a prettier looking caterpillar. No, it's a complete change. It's gone from caterpillar to butterfly. It is a whole new creation. And it's an inside job that has outward changes. And a true encounter with God leaves you with more than just good feelings. It's not just, hey, I made a decision for Christ and so I feel better. You know, life is good. I, I see from a good perspective. No, it's more than that. That when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a transformation process that's beginning to take place. Something inside of you is getting ready to happen. 
And it's an inner work that will show an outward reality. It's a changed heart. It's a changed life. You will be transformed inside out. It is a radical reorientation. And let me just give you one passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 says it like this. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Remember, you were the old creation. Put it aside. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now stop for there and look at that for just a moment. In true righteousness and holiness. We put on the new self of God. Transforming work happens in your heart, and it is marked by righteousness and holiness. There's a change. It's, it's an inward job, but it has outward changes. And so whenever you see metamorphics, metamorphosis take place, you see that the caterpillar is no longer there. It's this beautiful butterfly. And so when we make a decision for Christ, we're not to be the caterpillar. We're to be this new butterfly. And there's an inward transformation that begins to take place, and it has an outward reality. It's an inward job with outward changes. Let me tell you the second point I want you to write down. Orchestrated by the creator. It is orchestrated by the creator. Say, who does this? Do I need to do it in my own power? Not at all. It says here, you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. You are transformed. The action comes to you. It means someone else has done the the transforming, and that is done by God himself. Michelangelo said, every block of stone has a statue inside it, And it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. That's one famous artist. Let me talk to you another famous artist today. George Bush, 43rd president. When he retired, said he wanted to do something. He read that Winston Churchill took up painting. So he said, I'll take up painting. He had a heart for our veterans. So he decided to learn their stories of courage. And then he did paintings of those individuals. And he just has a book that has just come out called Portraits of Courage. And as this book has come out, it's like 66 different paintings and stories of some of these veterans. But in his interviews, this is what he said. He says, you know, I knew how to paint a little bit, but I need someone to touch up my technique. So I invited an art instructor to come in and teach me lessons. And this is what I told her. There's a Rembrandt trapped in this body. It's your job to unleash him. Okay. Well, I don't know what the statue is that's in you that needs to be chipped away. I don't know if there's a Rembrandt inside your body, but I do know one thing. There's at least a table leg in your body, okay? There is at least a table leg in every one of our bodies. And as we are dying trees, we have a creator who orchestrates all of this renewal that takes place, and he is the master craftsman. And it's interesting because when you, if you saw what John was, was doing over there, is that you know somewhere along the way, somebody's made a lot of the rough cuts to get the wood to the point to where it could be on the lathe. And then as that lathe spins, that operator has that chisel, and he begins to chisel this thing away, and he tries to, rough, uh, tries to uh, smooth out the rough edges, and then he gets it cylindrical. And then once he gets it cylindrical, then he be- can begin to put all the detail on there. That's what the master craftsman does. And that's what God does for us, is that there are some rough cuts along the way, but it's in his hand. And then he puts you on that lathe, and as it's spinning, he's got that chisel, and he's, he's, he's beginning to transform you and renew you along this way. And it's in that transformation process that God takes over. 
And who would you rather have but God to do that? You know, the Bible teaches that God is the one that knit us together in our mother's womb. So when you sit there and say, well, how long has God known me? He's known you since the beginning of time, before time. And, and, and when you were being formed in your mother's womb, it says he's the one that was knitting you together. He's the one that put your DNA together. And so if he's the one that did that from the beginning, and now all of a sudden you've made this decision to walk with him and to be a part of his family, who else would you rather have do that than God himself, the master craftsman? to begin to do that transformation process inside of you. You know, HGTV has really gotten big, and there's a lot of shows on there, but it really kind of always started with the show Trading Spaces. Raise your hand. You remember anybody watching Trading Spaces? Yeah, Trading Spaces. Janice and I used to watch that all the time, and we liked it, but it was very frustrating. And, and the very frustrating part of it is, if you remember the show, is they get two couples who, who were friends at that time. They may not be after the show, but, but they were good friends. And they said, hey, what we want you to do is we want you to uh, trade spaces. And I want you to go to these people's home. And then we're going to completely transform a room. And we're going to do something totally different with it. And you're on a shoestring budget. And you get to go in there and make a change. And so what did it, and the bottom line is you have people who have no, who have no uh, understanding of design, color, shapes, or sizes walking into your house and completely redoing a room with their personality that has nothing to do with what you would like. And then at the end of the show, you go, oh, I love it. And it looks junky because I only had like a couple thousand dollars or something, I think, to do that. And, uh, and the more we watched it, the more we got frustrated because we'd look at each other and say, would you want someone like that come to your house? No way. Well, you know, when it comes down to, uh, okay, who's going to renew you? All right. Who's going to be the transforming person? Who's going to be the transforming agent? All right. You choose. Who would you like to do it? Well, see, if I had to vote, I would vote for the God of creation. I'd say, you know what? Man, you could do the Grand Canyon. What could you do in my life? That's who I'm going with. And you, so it is orchestrated by the creator. So when we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we talk about being transformed, that's not something to be scared. That's something to be excited about because the author of all creation is the one that will be working with us in order to transform us. He is the master designer, and he's going to do an inward work in you and me that has an outward reality. Now, here's the neat thing. Most people, when you see a dead tree fall over, all you see is a dead tree. But it's interesting, the master craftsmen, when they see that tree, they see a table leg, a table, a chair. They see something that can come out of that dead tree. Well, guess what? In your life, wherever you are today, whatever brokenness that you have, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever bad decisions, whatever messed up relationships you've been involved in, when God looks at you, he doesn't just see a dead tree. He sees a table leg. He sees potential and he sees a purpose. And all he's asking is, man, let me get my hands on you and begin to do a work in your life. He said, I am the master craftsman and I can do a work in your life. You say, well, but I got all these imperfections. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you, I can take those imperfections those screw-ups, mess-ups, hang-ups in your life, and believe it or not, I can make them into something beautiful. It's orchestrated by the Creator. That's what transformation is. Number three, it's a continuous process. It's slow and it's strenuous. 
It's a continuous process. If you look in the verse of Scripture, he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. It's a present tense, which suggests that the process is to continue throughout life. Transformation is not instantaneous. It's an ongoing, repetitive renewing of your mind. But let me tell you, it is all-inspiring, purpose-driven, life-changing journey that you are going to love to be a part of. It's not something that you say, oh, gosh, I'm in the midst of transformation. No, it is, praise God, I'm in the midst of transformation. This is incredible. God is changing me, using me. I'm learning more about him. But it is a continuous process. When we say sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ, we do not mean sending transformed that, uh-oh, you've arrived. No. Whenever we use the word transform, it means you're in the process. You could have been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years. God can still use you. We're sending you out. You're sent uh, constantly. But if you want to be the best witness for him, you want to be the one that's transformed the most. That you have gone, you're going into this process and you're getting a deeper appreciation for who God is. And then God can even use you in greater ways. We need to understand that it is, uh, it's not microwave transformation. There's no book that you're going to read that says 30 days to transformation. If that book comes out, don't buy it because transformation is not a 30-day journey. It is every day. 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Just leave that verse up for just a second. And we all with unveiled faces, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. This goes back to um, Moses. And there was back in Exodus when he would go up to the mountain and God would speak to him. And when he'd come down, his face would be aglow with the glory of God. And so it says that it freaked out the people for a while. And then it said that what he did was he put a veil over his face so they wouldn't have to see the glory. And there are different reasons. Some people said that, that he knew that glory would fade and he didn't want people to see that glory fade. But then what Paul said is that, you know, a lot of the, the religious leaders during this time, they're just like people with veils over their faces. They're reading the Old Testament scriptures, but they don't see Christ in it. They don't see that Christ is coming. They didn't understand. And so it's like, like they've got this veil over their faces. But whenever you read scripture... And you understand who Jesus is and he died for your sins and you make that decision to receive him as Savior. It's like the veil comes off and he says, and you get to see the whole glory of God and you begin to understand these scriptures. And he says, and what is happening is that God is transforming you from one degree of glory to another. It's a continuous process. And it all comes to the end, as it says in Philippians 3.21, is when God gives us those resurrection bodies and uh, we see him as he is. We will walk out today. And as we walk out today, you get to make the choice. Will I go the transform route or not? But I will tell you this. No one will walk out today fully transformed. But when you walk out today, you will make the decision, do I want to start that journey of transformation? Do I want to be where I'm put on the lathe, let it get spinning, let God put his chisel to it, and begin to do this new work in my life? Number four is this. It's achieved by renewing your mind. Achieved by renewing your mind. It says here 
in the scripture in Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are you transformed? You're transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does that work? That means that our minds must be renewed in knowledge according to the image of God. We need to be reprogrammed. We need to get, be reprogrammed. Because for us, before we receive Christ as Savior, our desires are always to do things that are selfish and things of the world and things that usually go against Scripture. But once you receive Christ as Savior, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in and He begins to do a reprogramming work. So that now whenever you look to make decisions, it is, God, what would you have me to do? What does your word have me to do? You need to fill our minds with the word of God. It's not just enough to be a member of a church or to lean on some past decision of Christ. It is every day abiding with him, engage in spiritual disciplines to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in my life. That is why we always talk about how important it is to have the Bible. And whether you're reading it on your phone or your iPad or whether you're reading it uh, straight out of a, I can hold it and smell the pages. Either way, we need to immerse ourselves in God's, in God's word. To renew our mind leads you towards transformation. You've got to fill your mind with the things of God. And the Holy Spirit will then take the blinders off. you allow you to see God's word. And he begins to do a great work in your life. And that's the exciting part of the Christian life is this transformation process. And when that happens, you begin to think differently. You begin to see things differently. You begin to act differently. Because there's transformation that's taking place in your life. Wow. Okay. But number five is this, and that is limited by your willingness. It's limited by your willingness. Everything that I've shared with you, all these things that God wants to do, you can kind of put a governor on it because it's limited by your willingness. Listen, this piece of wood didn't just jump up on the lathe, okay? Someone had to put it up there. However, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it says, in essence, that we are to step up and put ourselves on the lathe and say, God, I'm ready for you to do a work in me. Because if it doesn't get up there, it doesn't happen. God doesn't force you into transformation. And so it is limited by your willingness whether you want to be transformed or not to be transformed. You find yourself that you're living in one of two places. You're either being conformed to the world or you're being transformed by God's word. You're either conformed to the world or being transformed by God's word. There's no middle ground. And what you get to do at the end of the service is whatever you do after you remember everything that's gone on here, you get to go home and sit there and just answer one question. Where am I standing? Am I being conformed to the world or am I being transformed by God's word? You're not standing in both camps. You're either in one or the other. And you just got to figure out where you are and where you want to be. But it's limited by your willingness. And if you say, I really don't want to be transformed. I don't want to be on the lathe. I don't want the chisel put to my life. Fine, it won't happen. It won't happen. And you will continue traveling the same path that you're traveling. They'll continue to be pain with no purpose. They'll continue to be hurt with, with no hope. And that you will take a life and just throw it away and it'll be a wasted life. Because the creator has created you for a purpose. And the only way you know that purpose is when you lock into him and say, God began to transform me and I want to live for you and do what you've called me to do. It's limited by your willingness.
In the 1970s, an author by the name of Amy Dillard wrote a piece called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And she tells the story of when she was a child, she caught a polyphemus moth. A polyphemus moth. And so, David, can we throw, put a picture of that? That is a polyphemus moth. And what she did was, um, when you look at a, at a moth, they are such as that when their wings emerge from the cocoon, that as it begins to emerge from the cocoon, there are uh, uh, liquids that begin to flow through the wings to enable them to be outstretched. And then as they are spreading out and the fluids go to the veins of the extended wings, at the exact same time, there is a lacquer substance that causes those wings to harden in order to have that inner structural security so they will fly. So it comes, it emerges from the cocoon, the wings begin to come out, the fluid goes into the veins so that the wings can get out here, and then the lacquer substance at the same time comes to harden it, and then all of a sudden that moth is ready to fly. And what Annie Diller said is that when she was young, she found one of these polyphemus moths when it was coming out of the cocoon, before it came out of the cocoon, and she placed it in a jar. And when she placed it in a jar to watch it, all of a sudden it came out of the cocoon. But when it came out of the cocoon, it tried to stretch its wings and it couldn't because it was in the jar. And and she didn't realize what she had done. And then all of a sudden she tried her best to try to go in and take it out of the jar. But when she took it out of the jar, what had happened is the lacquer substance had already kicked in and the wings had never been fully developed and never got out here. And so for the rest of its life, that moth never flew. All it did was hobble. It never did what it was created to do because she kept it in a jar. If you don't allow God to renew your mind through reading the Word of God and having total access to your life, it is like putting your spiritual life in a jar. And you will never mature and you'll never be able to fly as you were intended. Give God total access to your life. Open up every closet, unlock every door, no rooms or or off limits. Give him free reign in every area of your life. Get into the word of God and allow God's word to get into you. And when that happens, there will begin to be a metamorphosis and it will be an inner work that will have an outward reality. The very last thing is this. Transformation increases your usefulness in God's kingdom. It increases your usefulness in God's kingdom. The very end of verse 2 talks about how it says that uh, by doing this, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Everybody always says, how can I know what the will of God is? Well, this is one way of knowing it, (laughs) having your mind renewed. And when you get that mind renewed, that inner transformation, God will direct you and guide you and he will use you and it will increase your usefulness in God's kingdom. All right, who is more useful to travel, a caterpillar or a butterfly? I'd go on butterfly. Now, some of you are real slow movers. You love the caterpillar, okay? All right, that's good. Just don't turn in your resume to work for me. All right, I'd I'd like to, we'd love to kind of get the butterfly to fly over there. And and that's what he's created for. And, And so the usefulness is greater. And now, for us, If we allow God to transform us, then there is a greater usefulness in God's kingdom because you'll be doing the will of God. 
I remember the first time I ever went to um, Asheville, North Carolina. I went to see the Biltmore. And some of you, how many of y'all ever been to the Biltmore up in North Carolina? Whoa, a lot of Biltmoreites here. Uh, Biltmore, and I was intrigued by its history. And it's this huge estate and uh, this uh, just incredible house and over these thousands of acres on there. And so I began to learn about it. And it was built by a man by the name of George Vanderbilt. George Vanderbilt, they were very wealthy. And what he said was he needed a country home, one where he could have some peace and serenity. So he went and bought 125,000 acres and he built a house that was four acres in floor space. It's kind of getting away, you know, that's that's what, that'll bring you a little bit of peace. So he builds this thing, and um, it opened on Christmas Eve of 1895. And then three years later, he was married, and he brought his bride to live there. Now, all I can do is see uh, her parents. Uh, as they walk through the door, they say, cha-ching. We, <laughs> we've, we've, hit a, we've hit a home run here, honey. I think this is great, all right? I think we're going to retire. This is nice. We'll live on our daughters. Uh, this is great. But they get over there, and so he's moved into this house. He moved into this house, and um, from a, a surgery gone wrong, he died after 20 years of living in that house. He died in 1914. And so upon his death, uh, they had one daughter. Her, the daughter was married in 1924 there at the Biltmore. But after that, really not much took place. Uh, she got remarried, and, and, uh, and the house just sort of sat there. And uh, it just deteriorated. And in 1960, 1960, the financial advisors met with the um, descendants. And uh, there were the daughter had two sons. And so the two sons were the ones that were responsible for it. And the financial advisor said, what we advise you to do is to let it continue to depreciate and you will save money on your taxes. Okay. The first thing they did was they fired their financial advisors. And what they decided to do was say, what if we went by and we restored it room by room? This is a house that has 250 rooms. And let's restore it room by room. And that process began to restore it room by room back in the early 60s. Today, 2017, about 50 years later, there's almost, there's over 2,000 acres that they, that they still have out there with the estate. And just the land and the hotel is worth over $100 million dollars. I think that was a good call to restore the rooms one by one. And today, good gracious, look at what it's worth. Now, here's the question. Is that when we think about transformation, it's a room by room process that takes place. What the world and what Satan's trying to tell you is, hey, just get depreciated and save on taxes. Just cruise through life. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about all this other stuff and all this God thing. Hey, your life is what it is. And for some of you, you've had such a difficult life and have been beat up and made bad decisions that Satan is just working overtime on you. And he says, hey, just 
All you are is a depreciable asset. That's all you are. I want you to understand that the master craftsman, the God that we serve, is the one that looks at you and he says, you are not a depreciable asset. What you are is you are a table leg that can then be placed on another piece of wood that can provide for a table that will have incredible purpose and can use for amazing blessings. And you know what? When it's all said and done, you're going to be at least over $100 million worth, okay? Because in God's sight, you have value. The transformation process takes place one room at a time. Let's make that decision to say, God, I'm ready to be transformed. And that no matter where you are in life, God looks at you and he sees that purpose and he says, let's get after it. Put your hands in the hands of the master craftsman and see that transformation take place. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just one moment. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have taught us in your word. And, um, and we thank you that you love us so much. And so an expression of that love, I pray that each person here will ask themselves honestly the question, am I conformed to the world or am I being transformed by God's word? May we answer that question, yes, Lord, I want to be transformed by your word. And we walk out of here in a few moments knowing that we're taking that journey of transformation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.